Letter forty of Letters from England, eighteen forty six to eighteen forty nine, by Elizabeth Davis Bancroft. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter to W. D. B. Tarbet on Loch Lomond, August twenty eighth, eighteen forty eight. Dear W. Being detained here by rain this morning, I devote it to you and to my journal. The next day was Sunday, but the weather being fine, we concluded to continue our journey, and followed the Tay, seeing Burnham Wood and Dunsinane on our way up to Dunkeld, near to which is the fine seat of the Duke of Athol. We took a delightful walk in the beautiful grounds, and went on to Blair Athol to sleep. This is the chief residence of the Duke of Athol, and he has here another house and grounds, very pretty, though not as extensive as those at Dunkeld. When the innkeeper found who we were, he insisted on sending a message to the Duke, who sent down an order to us to drive up Glen Tilt and met us there himself. We entered through the park and followed up the tilt. Nothing could be more wild than this narrow winding pass which we followed for eight miles till we came to the Duke's Forest Lodge. Here were waiting for us a most picturesque group in full Highland dress, the head-stalker, the head-shepherd, the kennel-keepers with their dogs in leashes, the piper, etc., etc. They told us that the Duke had sent up word that we were coming, and he would soon be there himself. In a few moments he appeared, also in full Highland costume, with bare knees, kilt, filibeg, etc. He told us he had then, on these mountains, fifteen thousand head of deer, and thought we might like to see a start, as it is called. The head-stalker told him, however, that the wind had changed, which affects the scent, and that nothing could be done that day. The Duke tried to make us amends by making some of his people sing us Gaelic songs, and show us some of the athletic Highland games. The little lodge he also went over with us, and said that the Duchess came there and lived six or seven weeks in the autumn, and that the Duke and Duchess of Buckley rented it for many years while he was a minor. If you could see the tiny little rooms, you would be astonished to find what the love of sport can do for these people who possess actual palaces. After dining again upon salmon and grouse at the pretty little inn, we took a post-chaise to go on to Tamouth, a little village adjoining Lord Breadalbane's place. We did not arrive at the inn till after eight, and found it completely full. We were sent to the schoolmasters to sleep in the smallest of little rooms, with a great clock which ticked and struck so loud that we were obliged to silence it, to the great bewilderment, I dare say, of the scholars the next day. Before we were in bed there was a knock at the door, which proved to be from Lord Breadalbane's butler, to say that he had been commissioned to inquire whenever we arrived at the inn, as his lordship had heard that we were in Scotland and wished us to make them a visit. Next morning, before we were up, came a note from Lord Breadalbane, urging us to come immediately to the castle. Tamouth Castle, though not more than fifty years old, has the air of an old feudal castle. As we were ushered up the magnificent staircase through a first a large antechamber, and then through a superb hall with lofty ceilings, glowing with armorial bearings, and with the most light and delicate carving on every part of the oaken panelling, then through a long gallery of heavier carving filled with fine old cabinets, into the library. It seemed to me that the whole castle was one of those magical delusions that one reads of in fairy tales. So strange did it seem to find such princely magnificence all alone amid such wild and solitary scenes. I had always the feeling that it would suddenly vanish, at some wave of an enchanter's wand, as it must have arisen also. The library is by far the finest room I ever saw. Its windows and arches and doorways are all of a fine carved Gothic openwork, as light as gossamer. 
One door, which he lately added, cost a thousand pounds. The door alone, not the doorway, so you can judge of the exquisite workmanship. Here Lady Breadalbane joined us, whom I had never before met. During dinner the piper in full costume was playing the pibroch in a gallery outside the window, and after he had done, a band, also in full highland dress, played some of the Italian, German, as well as Scotch music, at just an agreeable distance. I have seen nothing in England which compares in splendor with the state which is kept up here. We passed Wednesday and Thursday here most agreeably, and we rode or walked during the whole days. Lord Breadalbane, by the way, has just been appointed Lord High Chamberlain to the Queen in place of Lord Spencer. I am glad of this, because we are brought often in contact with the Lord Chamberlain, but it is very strange to me that a man who lives like a king, and through whose dominions we travelled a hundred miles from the German Ocean to the Atlantic, can be Chamberlain to any Queen. These feudal subordinations we Republicans cannot understand. We stopped at the little town of Oban. After reading our letters and getting a dinner, we went out just before sunset for a walk. We wished so much to see the ruins of Dunnelly. We passed the porter's lodge and found ourselves directly in the most picturesque grounds on the very shore of the ocean, and with the western islands lying before us. Mr. Bancroft sent in his card, which brought out instantly the key to the old castle, and in a few moments Captain MacDougall and Mr. Phipps, a brother of Lord Normanby's, joined us. They pointed out the interesting points of the landscape, the castle of Ardtornish, the scene of the Lord of the Isles, etc., in addition to the fine old ruin we came to see. We lingered till the lighthouses had begun to glow, and I was reminded very much of the scenery at Wood's Hole, which I used to enjoy so much, only that could not boast the association with poetry and feudal romance. We then went into the house, and found a charming domestic circle in full evening dress with short sleeves, so that my grey travelling cloak and straw bonnet were rather out of place. Here were Mrs. Phipps and Miss Campbell, her sister, daughters of Sir Colin Campbell, and, to my great delight, Captain MacDougall brought out the great brooch of Lorne, which his ancestor won from Bruce, and the story of which you will find in The Lord of the Isles. It fastens the Scotch plaid, and is larger than a teacup. He described to me the reverential way in which Scott took it in both hands when he showed it to him. The whole evening was pleasant, and the more so from being unexpected. One little thing which adds always to the charm of Scotch scenery is the dress of the peasantry. One never sees the real Highland costume, but every shepherd has his plaid slung over one shoulder, making the most graceful drapery. This, with the universal Glengarry bonnet, is very pretty. At Glasgow we intended to pay a visit of a day to the historian Allison, but found letters announcing Governor Davis's arrival in London with Mr. Corcoran, and immediately turned our faces homeward. We were to have passed a week on our return amidst the lakes, and I protested against going back to London without one look at least. So we stopped at Kendal on Saturday, took a little carriage over to Windermere and Ambleside, and passed the whole evening with the poet and Mrs. Wordsworth at their own exquisite home on Rydal Mount. At ten o'clock we went from there to Miss Martineau, who has built the prettiest of houses in this valley near to Mrs. Arnold at Fox Howe. As we had only one day, we made an arrangement with Miss Martineau to go with us and be our guide, and set out the next day at six o'clock, and went over to Keswick to breakfast. From thence we went to Borrowdale, by the side of Derwentwater, and afterward to Ullswater, and home by the fine pass of Kirkstone. On my return I found the Duke and Duchess of Argyle had been to see us. 
The time of closing the dispatch bag has come, and I must hurry over my delight at the scenery of the lakes. I could have spent a month there, much to my mind. We arrived home on Monday, and early next morning came Mr. Davis and Mr. Corcoran. They went to see the Parliament prorogued in person by the Queen. End of letter 40. Read by Sibella Denton. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org.